but I was like busy. I was getting married. There was like stuff going on. So I'd kind of like forget, but then they would call and they'd be like, hi, it's HR, Donna Karen. Can you come meet with some other person? I'd be like, didn't know this was still on the table, but sure. And I, I got the position ultimately. Welcome to Sorted, a podcast for creatives by creatives. I'm Emma. And I'm Alex. So get your coffee ready and let's get sorted. Just a disclaimer, Beth Henrys is admitted to practice law only in the state of New York. She's not giving specific legal advice here on this podcast. Hi, friends, and welcome back to Sorted. We are so excited to welcome another amazing guest on our podcast. Today, we have Beth Henrys, who is the founding and managing member of Henrys PLLC. And Henrys PLLC is a boutique law firm that specializes in the beauty, luxury, and fashion industries. She is also the founder of Tribal Council, a foundation that provides pro bono legal counsel to indigenous tribes, artisans, brands, that assists in the protection of their intellectual property. As you can hear from everything we just said, she is an amazing person and an amazing lawyer. I've had the honor to work with her both as a client and also as a lawyer. And we just can't wait to have her share her expertise and her wisdom with all of you. She is also generally one of the most funny people I've ever met. So I can't wait for this episode. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of y'all, and I want to support everything you're doing, and I'm so excited about this podcast. My journey to becoming a lawyer was not a direct or intentional one. I started in my young adulthood wanting to be a dancer. I kept getting hurt, and frankly, I probably don't have the constitution for that kind of instability, and I was never going to be <laughs> like... Beyonce's background dancer. I kind of got hurt and I had to keep going to college. Well, I didn't have to. I didn't know what to do with myself when I was graduating. And I had a degree, I had like degree in dance and criminal justice and political science because I just like <laughs> couldn't figure out what I was going to do. And then like September 11th happened and then the job market shut down and I was like, oh, fuck, I have to do something. And I was like pretty good at school. And so I went to, and I also wanted to move to New York. And so I was like, let's spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and go to law school. And I grew up really not knowing any lawyers. I grew up sort of on the outskirts of Western Massachusetts, which is why you're going to have a lot of swearing. I grew up sort of not around a lot of lawyers. I wanted to be a lawyer because like the, the people I knew who were lawyers were like, they had a dope house. There are some people who had like a cul-de-sac nearby who drove Jeep Cherokees and had finished basements with sectional sofas, all signs of wealth. So I was like, let's just do that. And I thought I would like go and then go to like Bob's law firm and be like, like a family. I don't know, just like whatever lawyers do. I didn't even know. I just was trying to like live in New York and go to clubs. We And then I like realized pretty soon after starting law school that this was like a lot of money and because I'm indigenous I was fortunate enough to get funding where the state of Massachusetts lets you go to UMass for free if you're indigenous so I was like it was my first soiree into America's broken postgraduate education program and I was like oh my god I can't go to Bob's law firm and do whatever the hell I was planning because I'm gonna need to make some money I ended up working in finance. I went to Skadden Arps, which is like a huge mega firm in New York, but it was like so intense. And I was the, the, you were working like 20 hours a day, six days a week, sleeping on the floor in the office. It was just like zero chill. And it was like before the like quiet quitting moment that's happening and before like self care. And especially because I didn't have the pedigree of most of my colleagues, my colleagues. So like everyone there was like Ivy Ivy. And I was like community college dancer. And so like I felt like I really had to prove myself. And I was like super young and insecure. So I just like I decided I would differentiate myself by working harder than everyone else, which is like 
I think a common imposter syndrome strategy. (laughs) It's a really good one. So I did that and people were like, great, we'll just work her till she dies. And I was actually getting really sick. I had chronic migraines, bleeding ulcers, like just like crazy anxiety. And I was like, okay, this isn't sustainable. So that was kind of my plan, but I was like, I'll spend one year just applying to jobs that like blow my mind. So whenever I would be in, it would literally, I would do it it when I was like sad, like I canceled a vacation or like, you know, like I had, I missed something, you know, cocktails with my friend or I had to, you know, like anytime I, or I was like, working with a migraine and I would like sit at my desk at two in the morning and I would look on like the different job boards and I saw one where LVMH, Louis, uh, Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy, was hiring a corporate counsel to work with Donna Karen and I was like get out of here like fashion <laughs> people have lawyers and I applied and then forgot about it because I probably applied at like two in the morning and then like continued on with my life and I got an interview and then I got another interview and the interview process was wild. It was like six months, but I would like forget in between because, you know, like I would meet with like the CFO and then I would like not hear for two months and I'd be like, oh, so that job's not happening. But I was right. like busy. I was getting married. There was like stuff going on. So I'd kind of like forget, but then they would call and they'd be like, hi, it's HR, Donna Karen. Can you come meet with some other person? And I'd be like, didn't know this was still on the table, but sure. <laughs> And I, I got the position ultimately and spent about seven years working with that brand, you know, coordinating a bit with different LVMH brands, especially like the North American ones like Marc Jacobs. And just through that built a really great, cause fashion, like lawyers and fashion are very few and far between. I feel like we all kind of know each other and particularly within like some of the big holding companies like Caring or LVMH, we all like, you, you get to know the other attorneys there and there's like 40 of you and you all know each other and you have like, you know, continuing education sort of opportunities and training opportunities together. And so you become this like little network. LVMH sold Donna Karen to a big US um, apparel company called G3. And so it just felt like the right time to leave. Yeah. So how did you decide on like on going out on your own at that point rather than going to another? Oh, you had another. I I only recently decided that after my firm got like its 10th team member. Um, No, we I when I left (laughs) my it was like October. So uh, that's not a time of the year where a lot of people hire. I was sort of in a seniority purgatory where I wasn't senior or experienced enough to be a general counsel at a brand. And I wasn't junior enough to be like what a lot of people wanted for like a a number two or a corporate counsel hire. So I was having a lot of trouble finding a role elsewhere. And I had never in my life quit a job without having something lined up, like literally like quit my job at like the deli only because I had a job at the ice cream place as a teenager, you know, like never ever. <laughs> and I, my husband was amazing and he like held it down and he gave me like that breathing room. It was so stressful for him, but I was living my best life and <laughs> I was lucky. But he, so I, the plan was to really take October to, to like through the holidays off and then to look again in January. And during that three months, I kept getting calls from people being like, like my friends within the industry being like, oh my God, I'm on vacation and this like collab agreement needs to be done. Can you help? Or this company, like a startup company I was interviewing with was like, we eliminated the position, but we still need all this shit done. Can you do it? And I was like, sure, I can help. Um, And like my friend called from and then my friend from Cody called and she's like, our assistant general counsel just quit do you want the job? And I was like, no, but (laughs) I can help while you're staffing up. And then like, you know, it was like, and so all of a sudden by the time that my break period was over, I had like five clients. And so then I would, 
that was kind of my trajectory for a year or so. I was like consulting as a outside in-house counsel. So I worked as like an extension of the in-house team as opposed to like when you hire these big law firms. And somewhere at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of brands and companies fired a lot of their in-house counsel or eliminated or, you know, eliminated headcount a little bit and the in-house departments got smaller, but had more or at least the same amount of work. And so my practice kind of blew up and it was really like it, our whole function is to be like an anti-law firm. Like our branding is hot pink. Thank you, Emma. <laughs> like we, it's, you know, mostly moms. I have, you know, a retired dad who just dropped his daughter off at college. You know, like it, it's like, it's not your like regular troop, but we, everyone has like deep in-house experience and, and our whole, we, we want to become an extension of your legal department. So it's like an accordion. So like when you need more bandwidth, you have it, but then when you don't need it, we'll hit the bricks and you don't have to lay us off. And so it, it and that's kind of what we do is we, we work together with an in-house team to just kind of adjust their bandwidth as needed. And it really took off. And I, you know, we, we don't want to be like, I hate, it took me a long time to be like, we're a law firm because I definitely like, that's not like the vibe I want to have. Yeah. It's not your vibe. (laughs) And I think that's another reason why we wanted you on here though, is that not all lawyers are the same when it involves law. It's not all intimidating and it needs to, the people need to know that there aren't like super intimidating lawyers out there and that you are unique and that there are more, they sh- there should be more people like you out there that make it less intimidating. Lawyers are like in a navy blue suit with burgundy shoes and male pattern baldness and, you know, and drive a Cadillac. You know, like I, I think, but, but we're like anything, we're a lot more diverse. And I think the culture of a lot of law firms was very much that caricature for a while. But I think in anything, like- You're I a hot can- pink Jeep Cherokee. Thank you. I think I think Kent Kylie has that car, but it might be a Bentley. Mm, mm. Uh, and I said Jeep Cherokee just because in your earlier story that was the. Well, that's my poor husband. I made him buy like what, he had to buy all the weird things I associated. He we we because I make money too. We had to buy all the things that I like strange things I associated with wealth. Like so, we, every cat we have so many sectional sofas. They're like all over, like, and they don't like fit in a Manhattan apartment but I was like we need a sectional and then like I have to finish basements weird things Jeep Cherokee our our first car was a Jeep Cherokee well so after kind of reviewing all this and you talked a little bit about you know your how you found your clients and that you know this your network is how you built out your client portfolio and like how you even started started this in the first place. What type of clients and work do you usually, you know, who do you, what kind of clients do you work with now? And also what type of work do you do for them? So within the luxury industry, many clients don't let their vendors, which is what their lawyers are, say who they're working for, but they're like the luxury companies that you mm-hmm. know. They're like most of those. I work with some of the brands that are still from the LVMH family and some different ones. I and then I work in I have we have a bunch of media clients that we work with now. So we do a ton of work with Forbes Media and subsidiary companies like Quantalytics, uh, which is a dope hedge fund trading app where you can just like pay in without buying five million dollars in. <laughs> they and they have a, a few different subsidiaries. No, we work with, uh, you know, it's some, it's a lot of the big names that you know from shopping um, and then some media and then we we help, uh, we work with some smaller companies and startups and we, we kind of keep it interesting. Do you, do you work with any like individuals anymore? I know that you've worked with Emma in the past just because you guys have known each other for years, but do you work with anybody who might be of smaller scale? Maybe it is like Emma where, you know, she was an independent designer and then now she has kind of a team. Do you, is your clientele any of that sort? Totally. It's a, it's a minority of it, but I also like, I want to like 
I want to work with who I want to work with. So, and, and a lot of, so I teach at Parsons too. And a lot of the students in my classes at Parsons and throughout the university, generally they're, I mean, they're all like geniuses and they're like already, like I always, every semester I have like two kids who are already running companies, like pretty significant companies. Like they'll call me, I always do their stuff for free, you know, like, so I like help them. Yeah. Um, Emma, like, so I, I met Emma at the wing because I was trying to do my <laughs> own graphic designing and it was like hour four of trying to make a label and I literally like stood up on a chair and yelled like, is there a graphic designer in the room? And no way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is great. I love and this. And somebody brought me into the, the beauty room, which is my favorite part of the wing. In, in New York and Emma was sitting there and she like did what it had taken me four hours to not accomplish in like four and a half seconds and then I like leached oh, onto her and now she's in charge of everything it's the best introduction <laughs> it, literally <laughs> when an individual wants to like let's say they were reaching out to you or like they need a lawyer on retainer or just somebody that they can go to let's say to write contracts or yeah. to review a contract what are things that that an individual should be looking for in a lawyer or maybe some things that might be like red flag first things first it's like a personality mix like do you when you talk to them do you feel comfortable you don't want somebody who's going to talk down to you you don't want somebody who's going to like think your questions are stupid you don't want somebody who's irritated by you being there and so that's kind of the first where it's always like do i like you and sometimes, like, if you're doing a really big deal and you're selling, you know, a company you, you built from scratch, and then maybe it doesn't matter if you like them if they're the best because you just need it done, like, the best. But, like, in your day-to-day -day practice, you want somebody who can explain something to you so that you understand it, who takes the time to explain it to you, who gets back to you. Like, all of those things, I think, are most important. Equally as important is you have to make sure there's, like, they have the expertise that you want. Like doctors, there you know, lawyers can be generalists, jack of all tradey, like your general practitioners, or they can be super specialized. And so like you don't want to go to somebody who does divorces to do your unless they have like a, an expertise. And like we're in like in New York, you have like a wealth of attorneys to to sort of draw from. If you're in a smaller community, your your attorneys are going to be more likely to be more generalists. But in New York, you're going to run into a lot of specialists. And so like you, you know, dramatic, you know, example that you don't want to go and hire your your divorce attorney to set up your corporation or to file your trademarks and you know like Emma we went through this so like Emma was registering some of her trademarks and I was like it's something that's like so close to what I do because I do a lot of like licensing of intellectual property and contracts that protect intellectual property but I had never gone through the process of like registering it so I offered to sort of help Emma do it as like a learning experience. And I started it, we did it. It stressed me the F out. <laughs> I was like, it was taking, it was like something that had taken somebody who does this like 20 minutes and it was taking me forever. And so I then just like passed it to, to my girlfriend who like, does this for a living and she like handled it so like and a lot of people especially like if they're like building a practice or they're you know like they'll take on anything and I certainly did this when I started but but so it's not always like my friends and I who who have similar sort of structured firms or, or work in this space we talk about it a lot like it was like something we did, we all did when we were starting. And then now that we're a bit more established, we're like, no, this is a boundary. Like this isn't what I'm good at. And somebody who's good at it should do it. Well, I think that us as designers can relate to that as well. Like so when somebody might hear, oh, you're a graphic designer, they might have a vision in their head. Oh, can you design this for me? And it's like, if I don't, like if a designer doesn't specialize in brand design, 
then no, I'm not going to make your logo and that sort of thing. So I feel like it's it's very relatable and we totally understand where you're coming from. But that's yeah. something too, you want to like, you want somebody who's not so full of themselves or so insecure that they put on that they're so full of themselves that, that so like they'll tell you what they don't know and like and who That's is just thing. like yeah you, you know and like that is something I've gotten more work by turning down work because like people will call me and be like can you do this and I'll be like probably but it's gonna take me forever. You could probably find, and I'll send them to somebody who will do it better. And then like their friend will call me next week yeah. and be like, so, and they were impressed that you turned down the work. And nice. Because it's just, yeah. yeah, it shows candor and honesty and like that your head is yeah. small enough that you can fit through a door. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think it's it's part of that is having a good community around you of people that you can trust and refer work to. Because I know for myself, I, I refer, design work and then also kind of you know specific things you know having having you that I sometimes refer people to if they have legal questions or um, I refer people to my accountant all the time you know having people in your network that are in your own field and also you know vendor type of contacts that you can refer out to for certain projects it's just nice having I feel like it's very reciprocal where if you refer out I think a lot of people are really worried especially in the design community because it's I know with, with law, you're a little bit more, I feel like you can specialize, but it's, you know, it's stylized and things like that. So I think that not being afraid to refer out and having it, you know, come back around full circle, full circles. Like not to get like two crystals and woo woo, but it's also like, <laughs> if you're like, I don't know, it has like a, if you're like, no, I'll do it. I'll take it. I'll take it. If you're doing that, there's like this scarcity mindset. Like it's not going to be more stuff's not going to be yeah. coming in. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's just like, I don't know, it's just like good karma. And it's uh, for me, and because sometimes I'll get, you know, I didn't grow up like wealthy. So sometimes I get the like, ah, we're going to be broke. We, I have to do all the work and never sleep. And like, you're, you know, like sometimes I'll get that sort of panic. But it, it's, things work way better for me when I'm like, no, let me just take this bigger client where I can charge twice as much and then maybe like refer this person out and then like karma kicks in you get more good stuff and it's like yeah. I just think if you like are open and people really appreciate you sharing your network like yeah. they're they yeah. they are very helpful they're very like I don't know I found it there's something that you I sort of like had trepidation about the first time I like referred something out because it's like it's not like I'm so established that I shouldn't take it, but it, um, I, it's always been well worth the while. And it's better than to just close that door, you know, like you're opening that door to a different opportunity or to a different person. On that note of referrals and, and referring out or like Emma referring her friends to you, is there some sort of, I guess, block in the road that you are licensed, if that's the correct word, in New York City? Could you work with people out of state or how does that work? The laws around this are all, you know, Alexander Hamilton's age. So, you know, <laughs> where where you, you are, when an attorney gets admitted to practice in the state where they take and pass the bar exam. So I am admitted to practice in New York State. What that has meant historically, but is in the process of changing, is that you need to have a physical office there. Because of COVID and because like everybody who works in New York lives in New Jersey, like or Connecticut or what you know like those rules are starting I, I don't know where it stands now but they're starting they're, there's proposals to relax them and certainly like if I was a litigator if I was an attorney who went before courts I couldn't pop into a court in Georgia without all mm. special approvals and try a case there so it really makes sense like that's where it still very much makes sense. Or if you're doing things that are very state law specific. So if you're like a criminal attorney, then you're 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 working from the New York State Criminal Code. Or like family law, like again, but those are those sort of 
filter you into a court system. There's a bot, a state body of law, but it gets a little convoluted when you pra your practice is like mine, because my contracts are international and national. You know, like if it's a huge brand that's having a, a U.S. brand based in New York that's hiring a factory in Italy to make shoes and then the shoes are going to be shipped to Hong Kong and then sold throughout the world you're dealing in all the different jurisdictions so you kind of practice in a, in a federal sense and then I you know if there's something that's specific to another part of the world so if, like I need to check Italian employment law I will have to converse with somebody who can specialize in that I'll meet people or I have like students at Parsons or something and and even though they might be starting a business in California or outside of the state of New York there are some things that are just basic and you can give yeah. them you know like I wouldn't so like it, it and there's sort of the the bullet points that regardless of what where you are this is stuff that you should do off the bat, like forming your business entity, you know, paying taxes, protecting your intellectual property, making sure somebody doesn't already have a business under your name. Like there's stuff like that, that is like, it's not state specific. And if right. I, if you like, and that, that's one of the things where like, I'll often be like, you need to talk specifically to a California lawyer about, you know, if it's like employment issues or something, but like, for the most part, like if you're, if somebody's just getting started, the punch mm -hmm. list is, is gonna be pretty much the same wherever you're located. It's important that we kind of touch base on when a creative works with you, what that might look like. So let's say, I know that you just briefly touched on this, but like when they're starting their business, you know, how do they know LLC versus S Corp versus all yeah. of that? When is a good time to start working with you if it's even necessary at the beginning? And what types yeah. of things would be included when working with you as a creative? And also when to even think about incorporating, like, is that something that you need to do right away? Is it something you should wait for until you have like proof of concept? You know, when I started, I like didn't even know, I was kind of like you, I didn't know any lawyers. So I didn't even know when to start incorporating. And it's so funny because I incorporated literally a week at the wing in that beauty room the week before I met you. So in New York, for, if you open a lemonade stand in New York City in front of your apartment, automatically you are a sole proprietor and what that means is you're running a business and you'll file your taxes with your personal income statement and then lemonade company will be like a little exhibit to your taxes and that's fine it's not illegal it's totally fine to have a business where they're paying you you know, a babysitter or, a, you know, like it's totally fine. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have the structure where the structure is important is that the law considers a business entity separate from you provided you do some things. But so if you started, you know, Emma, if you started a design company from your college dorm, and you just took your yoga classes for compensation and you, I know your journey, um, <laughs> or tip, you know, and, and got paid cash or grocery, you know, bartered or whatever. It's, you didn't do anything wrong. The problem would be if somebody sued you because say you did a design and you were in the middle of exams and you got stressed out and you're like, Dah, and you just like copied something from somebody else gave it to your client, which Emma would never do, but gave it to her, your client, and then your client used it, and then your client got sued because they're using somebody else's intellectual property, and then they sued you. If you hadn't formed an LLC or a corporation around you, you're personally liable. So that means 
the your client who sued you can take your car, your home, your college fund, your bank account. So a lot of us, when we're starting businesses, we don't own anything. <laughs> we're, you know, we're like 20, we have an apartment that we rent. Like we don't have, what are you gonna take my Chanel bag? Like, <laughs> you know, like that's all we have. And, and so there it's not the end of the world, but what you'll find is that sometimes these things grow like a snowball rolling down a hill and it's, and it's hard to like set things up when it's already in motion. So like with my mm -hmm. firm, cause I was planning on just going to get a job somewhere else, but the thing started rolling and I was getting so busy that it like took me a minute to like, I had to like pump the brakes and then put the infrastructure in place and then come back to it. And it, it, it's better if you put the infrastructure in place. And, and primarily within New York, I recommend an LLC structure, which basically separates the corporate, the, the entity, your lemonade stand from your personal. So if the lemonade stand poisons everybody, they can't <laughs> take your house. In order to keep that, there's this thing called the corporate veil. It's very Dolce and Gabbana. <laughs> so you, you have the corporate veil and, and they can pierce it if you co-mingle your business in life. So if you're using the same okay. credit card, um, if your bank accounts are all like you paid your mortgage, you paid your mortgage with your business account. And if, and as a, an, like a business owner, like I, it's really hard. Like you pull the wrong credit card out of your wallet and you pay, or you like, you know, like I was just on a business trip and I, flew in and I was exhausted and I put my credit card down and it was my personal card and I had to like when I got back I had to be like tell my bookkeeper that I had made a personal loan to the business and then pay it back you know because it you have to keep it separately if you're not keeping it separately then they can pierce the veil and get your personal assets but really that's the main reason why you would want to from a tax perspective the LLC passes right through so you're gonna be taxed as an individual that said, if you are starting a company that needs more seed money, that's more than just like a girl on her laptop doing her thing. Like if you're making product, if you need employees, if you're opening a store, you know, if you if you're, have a company like that, then you need to get investors. And the right structure for that is usually a corporation because a corporation in a way that an, it, it, it is much more complicated with an LLC can be sold into pieces. So you can mm -hmm. get shares in a corporation and then you can sell those for investment and that's how you can build your capital. A corporation has like a double taxation feature where like you're taxed, uh, the corporation has its own tax rate, which is lower than the individuals, but then the gains get taxed again. So there's like two passes that tax. Um, but those are generally the two structures you would use. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because I have been an LLC since I opened up my creative studio over wow. a year ago and I... Uh, got a new accountant and it's actually the same accountant that Emma has and she suggested that I be an S-corp now because it makes the most sense for Indiana uh, versus she's like I wouldn't tell Emma to become an S-corp in New York City you know because those percentages that you have to pay in taxes to be an S-corp are a ton higher than in mm. Indiana so it just made more sense for me to do it here but not in a different state so that, that makes total sense. The, the power of hiring a professional. <laughs> yeah. No, yes. and it's so important and it's intimidating because there's an upfront cost. Yeah. But if you had just formed like your LLC and, you know, done whatever the online tax thing and just filled in the forms, like over time you were losing more money than it would have cost for you to pay $500 for somebody to be like, hey, and in this case, the more valuable person was the accountant and not the attorney. So I think there's always like, those are the two, the LLC and the formation. Don't tell the other lawyers I said this, but like <laughs> for the most part, like if you're like starting a small business and you don't have investors and shareholders or like lots of different uh, co-owners, 
you can go onto Bloomberg, you can go into LegalZoom, you can go into any of those. It's a name and a date and an address. And, and, and then you have the structure in place. And then as long as you keep church and state with your personal and your business expenses, live your life. Mm-hmm. And, and, yep. it, and it's already there. And then as your company grows, the structure's already around it and you're, you're protecting your personal assets. But, but really the accountant, so like I wouldn't have known that because I don't know mm-hmm. much about Indiana and by much, I mean, I know no things about Indiana taxes. <laughs> and so like, I wouldn't have been able to Oh, that's just great that. over here. <laughs> we just got corn and Applebee's. <laughs> Applebee's is good though. My other, other question kind of for those people that are just starting out and it's something that I've had you help me with and it's contracts and how when you're starting out with with having to write contracts. So for Alex and I, we have contracts for, you know, our clients and for work we do. But then also I had you help me recently with a contract for hiring a contractor, a contract for a contractor. Um, I guess where what is your recommendation for people starting out? You know, what? you know do you know resources do you think hiring someone right off the bat the bat if do you something that I really think I when I was starting to kind of write contract I wouldn't even know where to start so I think that like having a few clients under my belt that I trusted to like learn what I needed to include in my contracts what is what is your legal and professional advice on on that contracts are always helpful when you know when you have experience with things going wrong so at first you can start with like the bonsai template and that's better than nothing but then you'll be like you'll operate for a bit and you'll have that client who like doesn't pay or you'll have every new client that is signed pushes back on the same sentence and you're like maybe you know so like a lot of contracts need to evolve with your learning of your business with your pain points for me like when I'm talking to my students or I've talked to some of your friends and even not as an attorney, but they like tell me what their business is and I'll be like, this is where you need paperwork, you know, and I'll, and I'll explain. And, and so the big concerns where you want a contract is when money is going back and forth because you, you should, you need to have some terms around that. You need to say when it's due, you need to say how it's going to be paid. You need to say what happens if it doesn't. So money's important. Emma, like with in both of you, with your businesses, you're creating artwork, original works of art for per- people. As the designer of it, without a contract, you guys own that copyright. And so if Emma's doing design work for my Instagram page, Henry's underscore PLLC, um, <laughs> She, without a contract, she would be the owner of those images and I would technically have to license them to her, but then she could go and use them elsewhere for other people. So we have a contract in place saying that what she's doing is a work for hire and I'm buying that intellectual property from her. Um, And that's so important in any sort of creative role because that like a lot of times even like with PR or whatever people think their work product is theirs and then they go out into the world and whatever huge corporation they just did it for is like no you can't use that that's mine and it comes as quite a surprise so you that's one of the things that really needs to be handled in contracts so it's really like money and intellectual property um, or if you're in America we're pretty litigious. We stub our toe and we're gonna go ahead and sue you. So if you have people going to a place, you need to have some sort of arrangement because people are crazy. People will will stub their toe and sue you for emotional damages. 
I know that myself included and a lot of individuals that are involved in Golden Hour Guild, Emma's and Steph Powell's community struggle kind of with if something goes wrong with the client and they're like, but I have a contract. How how would you suggest feeling empowered to actually reiterate? hey, this is in the contract. Let's say you haven't heard from a client in X amount of days and that's exceeded the amount of days allowed per what the contract says. I guess just like, how do you feel empowered to be like, hey, this was in the contract. I'm sorry, but like you signed on onto this. Yeah, the, the thing about contracts that actually, because I'm a very black and white person and it took me an almost 20 year career to get to the point where it's just like, you need to like, the contracts are there because it's your instruction manual. It's your prenup. It's like when shit hits the fan, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to agree to this before we're fighting. But also folks have to understand that these are business relationships. And so the contract is a roadmap. And certainly it can be point two and reiterated. But sometimes you have to be commercial and be flexible with people. So if it's like I'm sending you artwork and you have to approve it within three days or, or and then they're getting back to you on four, maybe you chill. Because maybe right. the relationship is worth more than that. And it would be uber aggressive to like screenshot that part of the agreement and said, you said four days, three days, this has been four, I'm counting the minutes, so like that's a little hot. Mm -hmm. But if you, that said, if it's like independent contractors will be very project-based and you can't take another project until you finish one and it's like jacking up your life and they're perpetually late, you, you do it. What I've found is more successful is to handle it in a way you would handle a disagreement with like, your friend or somebody in your family and you the first time you're like no worries it happens and then the second time just be like getting a little concerned that I'm falling off of deadline and then maybe the third time you're like hey listen the contract does say you should get back to me within three days I can't take another role until this is finished I'm going to if this falls off schedule I'm going to have to like back burner your project to take yeah. on another timeline yeah. um and and you can you know I, I never like to point like even when my like clients are having a dispute I always make them I strongly suggest to them that they have their business people go back first like I'm terrifying so you don't want me to come <laughs> in right away you save that in your back pocket because then it's yeah. just like muscle. Something that's helped me with this type of thing too is having a script for when I send, I know it's very specific to a service product. I have a script for when I send revisions because uh, so all my packages have a certain set number of revisions included. And that's usually where we find as designers that kind of hard where yeah. it's hard to like, like in the contract. But I always say, here's revision number one, two, three, four, here it's due, your feedback is due end of day by this date, and here's the next steps for me as well. So it's not only saying, here's your homework, but it's also saying, here's what I, you know, my deadline for my own self, mm -hmm. so that we're kind of on the same page of when things are due from both of us. And it's also I I feel like a little bit better, more better communication, just being like, by the way, you, you, you know, don't be late, but I also can't be late. And I like it because it's proactive. So you're not waiting till there's a problem. Yeah. And you probably learned yeah. how to do it, that because there was still a problem. <laughs> yes. I, 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 this is a uh, newer system in my business because I, yeah, no. And I, I get it. Things happen. And, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's very interesting because I think that this and you know this contract kind of a lot of it is trial and error it just and hard, you know it is. sometimes it's you know i had so I've, I've never done this but when i was first starting out one of my girlfriends who had had a legal practice of her own gave me this advice and i don't know if it's deceptive i don't know but she said it really worked so like with payment disputes like you hate following up like you know, we're all raised to be like, don't talk about money, don't talk about money. And you don't, you know, like it feels gauche. And like, if somebody's not paying you, 
you can like follow up, follow up. But then she's like, I had this other email address that was like invoicing at lawfirm.com. And she's like, and then my alter ego would email from that and be like, hey, you need to pay. And then, <laughs> so it wasn't coming from like your service provider. Um, and I certainly, I have like people that do like my billing and stuff now, but I'll, in some cases, because again, they're like relationships. So if it's like, one of my best friends or close friends, I'll be like, yo, this isn't for free. And then they'll be like, mm -hmm. what, it wasn't paid. And like, it's usually like, my clients tend to be bigger. So it's usually like a red tape sort of lost or something and, and they can handle it. But like, there are cases where I have, I'll like tell my bookkeeper, I was like, this is like been out for a minute. Can we, can we follow up? And she's, mm -hmm. I mean, terrifying woman. She's so cute <laughs> and lovely, but she, but like, I'll send her because it's just like, it keeps like the relationship and like, it, you can do a little good cop, bad cop. Right. And it, and it separates that billing and the relationship. It also looks so, professional yeah. because it's like, exactly. it's like, I got people. Yeah. My people are going to ask <laughs> you to pay me. <laughs> but I don't know. I love again, it. I don't know if that's deceptive, but it is, but it's <laughs> like, that was like a strategy that she's like, she's like, that's how I did my billing i've heard a lot of people doing that for kind of an assistant email like setting up uh like assistant at and then your handle and just yeah and having them that kind of do do like scheduling and stuff through there i heard of other creatives and other small i like that idea people yeah well i feel like we got so much out of this yeah just been sitting here listening. i mean so many different topics were covered and i'm so excited for our listeners to have a listen and i'm sure that they had a lot of the same questions that we have so that being said i'm gonna pass it back to you beth and tell people where they can find you how they can work with you if your books are open and yeah i'm glad to talk to anyone you can find me uh on the World Wide Web at henrysplc.com and then on the Instagram at henrys underscore PLLC and henrys is H-E-N-R-I-E-S and you'll also see Emma's fine work at both of those locations. Thank you again so much, Beth, for sharing all of your expertise. And we will have in the show notes where you can find her as well. And we hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for having me, ladies. That was such an interesting episode to hear from Beth. It's so nice to kind of talk to people that I've worked with before because it's just really nice to hear what they'd you know recommend to the general public and also to someone just starting out and knowing that like you know something like Beth it's, it's like Brittany and Beth that's why we have them on this podcast is they are empowering and the exactly kind of what Beth said about one of the red flags or green flags rather to look for in a lawyer is someone that doesn't talk down to you that you know doesn't make you feel stupid for asking the questions that you need answers to and I feel like with law it's one of those things that you know when you're starting a business you want to be professional from the beginning and it's hard to not know you don't know what you don't know so it's hard to kind of start and ask questions without feeling like oh I have a business I should know this you know that's why you're going to these professionals and that's why we have them on to kind of help fill that gap. There's also a way to be professional without having to get in a suit and tie all buttoned up, you know, like, and another reason why we loved having Brittany and Beth on because they're very raw and real. They're experts at what they do, but they're still real people and they really let that show through their services and just how they talk to other individuals who aren't an expert in that certain field. So for the final files of this episode, the first one that I took away personally, and I think it's applicable to you, whatever industry you're in, is building that network of people that you can refer to and that can refer work to you. And also not being afraid to say no if you aren't, you know, it's not something that you necessarily do. I've had clients that I've done branding for, and then they come to me asking me for X, Y, Z. And I really just don't, that's not something I either enjoy or it's something that I don't necessarily have the expertise in and having people that I can refer a job to is such a great feeling and knowing that I can count on that person to do a great job and also you know if they 
the client that I referred that person to, if they like their style better, like I'm happy for my friend to get that work. And then, you know, when they need something that's illustrated or when they need something that might fit my more my style, they're going to refer work back to me. So I think that having that network and using that network is really important. Yeah, I loved that takeaway. And another big takeaway that I also loved is she was so transparent in telling us, you don't need a lawyer from the get-go. Like, go to LegalZoom, go to another platform, register your LLC, and that might be all you need to get started. So don't let things like a lawyer or attorney or an accountant hold you back from starting something great. Because you can start super small and then later down the road is when you know you'll invest in an accountant you'll realize oh i need to update my contract i need it to be more professional and then that's when you would go higher so don't let those words be intimidating or those types of people be intimidating and you can start on your own and then kind of bouncing off what you just said for our last final file it's the trial and error that is involved in contracts i think that that's something that you know, is kind of scary to think about not having your contract fully nailed down, but that you really can't know what you need to add to it until something happens to you. I like to say that my contract that I currently use for branding is like a compilation of all the errors that I've made in the past. And it took three years to kind of get a contract together that has, that covers all those areas and has those bits and bobs in it that, you know, that I wouldn't have thought to put in in the beginning. And also, with contracts, something that we kind of didn't talk about, but talking to your friends and seeing what they have in their contract. I know that Alex and I, when we went to Creative South, we both learned from a lot of people, like a couple things to put in our contracts that I hadn't even thought about, like putting in your no-show fee if people don't show up to a Zoom call. Because yes, I'm not going to charge someone if they don't show up to their one Zoom call, but if it's a recurring thing where a client just continuously doesn't show up to you know our scheduled meetings, then that might be something that you want to you know reinforce in your contract. So just having those pieces that you know, are, you don't necessarily need to enforce right away, but just our backup for you. We are so happy that we had Beth on this podcast. We hope that you got some good information about the law basics and to incorporate or not to incorporate. We hope you get that pun um, of our title and yeah, let us know in the comments on this episode's Instagram post. If you have any other questions or if you have topics that you think we should cover that in regards to law in future episodes so thanks again to beth for joining us on this episode and we will see you next week Bye. bye For more Sorted content, follow us on Instagram at sorted.pod. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, let us know by leaving a review. It means so much. Sorted is hosted by Alex Pizak and Emma McGoldrick. Produced and edited by Carrie King. Marketing and graphic design by AP The Creative and ESM Creative Studio. Photography by Hannah Hunt. And music by Dam Darmawan. Huge thanks to all the people that made Sorted happen and to you for listening. See See you you next time. time.